0: Welcome to the Writer's Way Podcast, where we celebrate writers who have completed their books and inspire writers who haven't. Join Lori and her guests as they talk about writing, books, and life in between chapters.
1: Hi everyone, it's Lori with the Writer's Way Podcast. Joining me is the gorgeous Diane Elberin. What we're talking about is how this is still so new for me. She is my second truthfully you're my third but the first one didn't quite work out so we have to re-record it so you're like 2.5 so welcome Diane (laughs) hi Hi. and you'll see on the on the screen Diane won't see it but everybody else will see it Your I think this is your best-selling book Splatter is that your best seller right now uh Scribble is. Scribble okay so we'll get to your books um why don't you start off by sharing who you are, what you do, like your bio, that kind of thing. Then we'll talk about your books.
0: Okay, so um, my name's Diane, and I have a fine arts degree at ASU. Um, went there on a scholarship, graduated, and then got into IT because the arts didn't—you uh, didn't—you don't make a lot of money and being an artist, I guess. So I got an IT kind of by accident. I was a, a server um, as a waitress and I do that as my day job, but I've always wanted to write children's books. I've been illustrating and painting for a long time. And when I had my children, um, it was kind of, you start to read a plethora of, of books, um, a lot of them, and you start to realize that. Um, you know, the books that I really wanted to get my children kind of weren't out there, kind of ones that really inspire creativity and things like that. There was a couple, but not as many as I, I'd like to see. So I saw that there was a, a reason to write a book for my children. so I wrote my first book, um, I'm Not Just a Scribble, which was inspired by my son, who was just learning how to draw. He was three years old. Yes. And he was, I wanted him to draw like a house and a sun and all sorts of fun things. But he ended up just trying to scribble. Yeah. And I was like, no, draw something awesome. Because I could draw something awesome. Um, so he uh, he got really upset at me and kind of threw his paper down. And it just so happened we were like in the craft room. And these two googly eyes landed on his drawing. And he's like, mommy, I did draw something. I drew a scribble. And I was like, oh, okay, this is a good this is a really cool way to start a story. So um, I I basically made a story about a little scribble who feels like he doesn't fit in. I guess a lot of people have, have you know, questioned why a lot of my books are about not fitting in. I guess um, when I was younger, I didn't really fit in very well. So um, I kind of wrote a series about being kind, um, you know, uh, mindfulness, understanding people's feelings and kind of words hurt, things like that. So Basically, um, Scribble kind of owns the fact that he's different and, you know, um, teaches the other drawings that, you know, if they work together, they can make something beautiful. And in the end, they create a beautiful drawing together. So all my series um, have, I would say the only one that doesn't necessarily have a a full moral would be spots, but it's still about, like, finding the fun in every situation. But a lot of them are around kindness, um, empathy, uh, mindfulness, things like that. So...
1: That's fabulous. And so I taught kindergarten, and uh, the younger kids would often come in and do the scribbles. And so I didn't really know what to say. I don't have a arts creative background, and I would say, "Oh, you did a tornado. That's great." And you know, and then they were really proud of themselves, and they would do a lot of tornadoes. But um, I have a three-year-old, a six-year-old, and a ten-year-old, and we sat down this weekend and we looked at your scribble book. And now I wish I was showing the scribble book, but anyway, people can go find it on Amazon. And I had ordered some stickers from you and they were so fun. So the 10 year old, the six year old, the three year old, we all sat around the kitchen table for a couple of hours doing scribbles on purpose. And what I found, it was hard for me to do a scribble. Like it's hard, it is. right? As an adult, Very like you hard. said, you want to do a beautiful drawing and I can't draw, but to do a scribble, I felt like my scribbles aren't good enough, <laughs> but my three-year-old was so proud of himself and he was keeping up with the big kids and even the 10-year-old um, had so much fun with it. So he, he annotated it and he started talking about, this is my face. So he would put a sad face, you know, this is my face when I die in Fortnite." and then he kept doing this is when I die in Fortnite, and there's only one person left and so they really just did their own thing with it but it was so so fun so thank you awesome thank you for doing that I love that and what a great thing for teachers to um for preschool teachers and daycares and things like that to teach the kids that are younger and maybe don't have that dexterity yet that scribbles are good too
0: Mm -hmm. Right. Well, I think the big thing is, is like every kindergarten teacher, even art teacher, they always hear from a child, I can't draw. Um, That's very typical. Mm -hmm. And with a scribble, anybody Mm -hmm. can do it. So whether you're an adult, or you're a child, or even if you have disabilities of any kind, you can, everybody can do a scribble. So what's been happening is full schools are participating, K through eighth, every single child. And so It makes it so everybody can show their artistic ability and no one's being judged, right? Because no matter what, everybody scribbles unique. Um, No two scribbles are alike. They're kind of like little snowflakes. Um, And they're really, they kind of really give you the confidence. And the other thing that was really cool is while I was doing this whole thing, I didn't really understand how important scribbling actually is. Mm -hmm. So a lot of parents um, and teachers um, are guilty of this. They kind of skip over the scribbling phase they want them to start writing right away. They want them to start um, creating shapes right away. And what a lot of people don't understand is that scribbling is a precursor to writing and to gaining your fine motor skills. So like when people go through physical therapy, if they've had, you know, when they're trying to build their muscles back up, they're not going to just start at the highest point, start writing, right? They have to do these exercises with their hands to build the hand eye coordination, to build uh, the strength in their fingertips, things of that nature. And so it's funny because when I first launched the book, my son was three, my daughter was two and I made Ryan scribble every day. I was like, don't draw anything that I can recognize. I only want scribbles. And so after a period of time, it was funny because he's like, mommy, I'm, I'm kind of over the scribbles. Like I can draw full faces now. Like he has, he gained so much control in his, uh, his crayons and his pencils, that, um, it was a natural progression, which I think people think that when their child is doing scribbles, that they're never going to get there. And that's not true. The more scribbling they do, and this is kind of art one one is the more that you, um, do something over and over again, you get bored and you want to kind of, um, expand. So when my son is scribbling, he used to scribble outside the lines all the time. I didn't care. I'm like, do whatever you want. This is your piece. Well, then eventually he was like, well, he gained the control. So we started coloring inside the lines. And I think, you know, I see it all the time. And it's really sad. You know, kindergarten, even in, in pre-K, they get really upset about the children coloring outside the lines, mm-hmm. And it's usually because the child doesn't have the fight motor skills yet to do it. So it almost is causing the child to have this resentment <laughs> towards. Drawing and coloring because they get yelled at when they color outside the line. Mm-hmm. So I think the more that they scribble, the more that they create these characters, the more confidence they build, it's only going to be a natural progression. So if you see some of the scribbles now for my son, they're, they've got full scenes like houses, buildings, airplanes, suns, like all around a, a, a scribble. Because his skills have progressed and same thing with my daughter. They just, they get better and better over time. People just need to be patient. It's kind of like, you can't, um, you know, run before you, you crawl basically. Right. Mm -hmm. So I really want to kind of make the scribble something so amazing that when a parent sees a scribble, they're so proud and they put it on the refrigerator and they're excited about it because it's only going to encourage their children to be excited about drawing and creating and and ultimately writing, right? Because that's where you want them to get to is being able to write. And so now his his hand-eye coordination is unbelievable when it comes to writing. I really truly believe it's because of how much scribbling he did. (laughs) And so so it's kind of been a really cool process and so all my books kind of really tap into the fine motor skills right the stickers obviously are a huge fine motor skill um with my new books coming out snippets um all scissor cutting right so that's a big fine motor skill um scribbling is another one painting so all these things are going to build your hand eye coordination and the way that you can you know really develop those muscles in your hands
1: so it's kind of cool I love that so. so much. I can't wait to share this podcast. Um, I have a lot of teacher friends. I have a lot of um, people in my friends' list who run day homes or daycares. And I think this is so, so important. And like you said, people don't realize. And it builds their self-confidence so much with that fine motor, um, that that aspect of it that is so often just skipped over. And I just think that's brilliant. And people would maybe look at your book at first and be like, "It's it's a scribble. You know, like, yeah. and maybe not take much out of it. And then when you read it and you listen yeah. to you talk, it's so much more than that. So thank you.
0: Thank it's you. really, it's really cool. And I think it, it goes after, so what I, it's funny now because I'm seeing third and fourth graders actually get into it too, because they're writing a full story. So like one of the biggest classes I remember was in third grade and you start your creative writing, right? That's like your big thing. And a teacher of mine, I'll never forget this, drew like a squiggle on the board. Okay. And then she said, you have to create this into something and then you write a story about it. So I would do this elaborate, obviously this whole thing and be this big elaborate story, but a lot of the children struggled because they couldn't draw anything. Right. So now what's happening is third and fourth They're like, here, this is your character, you can draw him in any kind of scene, you can do anything, and everybody in the class can participate, no matter what kind of artistic ability, and they write these amazing stories about Scribble, whether Scribble likes pizza, and likes to skateboard on a regular basis. Or like this whole thing is crazy um, because it's also going into the creative mind, you know, the creative writing. And it's funny because I was out to to lunch with my aunt and I was telling her about, you know, I want to do International Scribble Day where everybody participates K through eighth. And she's like, why would eighth graders participate in scribbling? That's for kids. And I was like, "Okay, see, that's the kind of mentality that I'm trying to work on, that I would (laughs) like everybody to, no matter what that scribbling should be looked at as a form of art, right? So no matter, it shouldn't be looked at as a childlike form. It should be looked at as, as a, as just a form of art in general, and you should be proud of it. And so I think that is, And is, I'll, I'll never forget the first couple of scribbles because it literally comes to life. As soon as you put the scribble faces on, like this, it becomes a character. It's really cool. Yeah. And I put them all over the refrigerator, right? They got really kind of intense, but it, the kid you know children really feed off the energy of the parents right so as soon as they create a scribble and you get excited about it you're like oh my gosh it's so amazing <laughs> look how cool this is they're so excited about it because they created something they almost look for your approval right yeah. so they yeah. created something that really made you excited to uh, hang up on the refrigerator or give as a gift or frame for a grandparent or do whatever. So my goal is to eventually, I'm going to be doing like spooky scribbles for Halloween where it's the white crayon on the black paper so they'll look like ghost scribbles. And then I have like a whole like ornament thing Well, I'm going to try to do um, ornaments to give to grandparents for scribbles and stuff like that as like fun ways to incorporate scribbles every day and then basically every time someone has a a card i just make a scribble card for them and so that's pretty much helps with that that. cause so
1: okay so while we're talking about that uh, normally i ask this at the end but just tell people where they can find you and they can find these ideas like if they want to follow you and follow these ideas as you come out with them seasonally where can they find you
0: So I have an Instagram at I'm not just a scribble that I post all the images. Um, And I didn't mention too, I actually have a full lesson plan available for download free download. Um, It's about an eight page lesson plan, all about emotions and colors and how they react. Um, Like basically explain to children how they can refer to themselves as blue that day if they're sad. Um, So I put on TPT just because it's easy to download it there. I didn't know how to do it any other way. So on my website, at just dianealbert.com, if you go under lesson plans, you'll see um, lesson plans for Scribble that you can download. I also am starting to put, uh, for Splatter, I have a full color wheel chart on how to mix primaries to get secondary colors. Um, And I'm also doing, um, like basically every, so in Splatter, every back of the book has a lesson plan in it outside of Scribble. So Scribble's got the full like eight page thing. And then um, Splatter, Um, spots the whole rest of my series has uh, what's called a next step so it's questions you can ask the children to basically engage them in the story like why did you think the house was you know treated scribble this way or you know things like that to really kind of engage in in conversation with the child and kind of understand why um, you know characters were acting a certain way and how your words can affect other people. So it's a really great way to do it. And it was funny because I, I gave the I gave some books out to my children's preschool. and One of the parents is like, I read Scribble. My son was really upset about how angry the house got, right, to Scribble. Made him really upset. And I was like, oh, well. I go, well, it's supposed to evoke emotion, right? I mean, it's supposed to – she goes, well, it's a great conversation starter about how someone's words can really make you feel upset, right? Just, you know, not so much even actions, but just words. And she's like, yeah, he was really upset. He talked about all week about how the house was so angry. And I was like, well, that's what happened. You know, in everyday life, people can be mean. And it's not necessarily a bullying tactic or anything like that, but there's just people.
1: Oh, you froze a little bit there. Diane's back. And neither of us can remember what she was talking about. I was distracted by the face and she had to move where she was sitting to get to get Wi-Fi back. So I'll move on. Because this podcast is about um motivating people who want to write a book but who haven't yet. Can you speak a little bit about how you felt before? So you said that you were inspired by your kids right. and you really wanted to write the book that you were looking for and couldn't find. So what was your your mindset, your frame of mind um before you published? And then I'm gonna ask you know, how, how that changed after you published, of course. So I did
0: a Kickstarter. I don't know if I mentioned that, but that's how I raised the funds to initially self-publish. And it was funny because once I got a successful Kickstarter campaign, I thought that I would get traditional publishers that would pick me up. (laughs) No, that did not happen. So I got rejected. (laughs) By like 10 publishers that didn't want to pick up my book. And it was really disheartening because I was like really upset about it. Yeah. Um, so, but I, yeah, I'm like, you know what, I'm just going to move forward. I had to print anyway to fulfill the Kickstarter. Um, I had over 600 pre-orders for Kickstarter. So, um, so I got that started and people just really loved the message. I was featured on the news. It was one of those things that um, was really exciting. I think the, the biggest advice that I could give to anybody that's writing a book is, that write a book that you would read to your children. <laughs> I know it sounds really weird and people don't think about that, but I think people write books that they think will sell, uh-huh. which is not a good way to think about it. You need to write a book that you th- that you personally would read, that you personally would share, that you personally would give as a gift. Um, that's a big, big thing. And you can't necessarily have your book blinders on I call it um, because it's, it's like your children like you don't you don't see you know if they're really not great at sports you just have these mom goggles on that you just hope that they will be but you know you just kind of go oh maybe they're not <laughs> you really need to be honest with um, you know the book you're writing and what the reason is I from what I've seen I, I belong to a, I help run a large children's book self-publishing group on Facebook. And what I've seen is the read a lot of children's books, like a lot of books, like if you want to write a children's book, you have better read hundreds, if not thousands of children's books. And even if you don't have children, you can read them to your dog. It's yeah. fine. Just read them out loud, read them and, and really be engaged with them. I probably have a library of over thousands of children's books. My husband gets really upset, but I tell him it's for research. And for my children. I'll write it off. It's fine. Yeah. I'm like, it's fine. Um, but I think, you know, there's, there's several different hurdles. The first hurdle is how are you going to get the funding to actually publish your own book? And I think a lot of people that have come to me are looking for that publisher, that traditional publisher, that's going to pick them up, that agent that's going to pick them up. Yeah. And I mean, my story is, you know, I had a successful Kickstarter. I raised $15,000 and I still don't have a publisher pick me up. So I, I wouldn't be discouraged necessarily. They don't like the fact that you have an audience first. It's very weird because then they can't mold you um, into what you like. So for instance, like they didn't like the fact that I already had kind of a book put together because they wanted to be part of that process. Mm-hmm. Cause that makes that pro that makes them worth more to me. If they're part of the, The process of putting kind of the book together, the illustrator with the author, those kind of things. I'd already done it all. And so they were kind of didn't know how they would help me in that process. And that was kind of a lot of the the feedback I got. And then once I had already sold, you know, 7,000 books, I was looking for another traditional publisher to basically take me to that new level. And then at that point I became too difficult to work with because I refused to make any changes with my books (laughs) because I'm like, these are selling. So why would I change anything? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so that was also, you know, a struggle, I think getting from point a, point a, you can't, so there, there, I think everybody has the same struggle is a, how do you stop editing? That's the other big, right? So how do you know when your book is ready to Mm -hmm. go out? Like, like when do you stop? And I, I think, um, you know, they they call it like you can basically edit a horse into a pig, right? So it's <laughs> you so much editing that it turns. Horrible. I've never heard <laughs> that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So like it basically can make things really bad if you just keep editing. Yeah. Um, and so I had to finally just say, okay, I'm done. And I had a deadline because I had to meet the Kickstarter by Christmas. I had to get everybody's. So I, I really put myself on a deadline to say I have to get it out by this day, and and that's it. Like that's when it's gonna go out. That's. I, there's no other, you know, I can't push it off another two weeks. I can't edit it one more time. I can't send it to this place. So, I mean, was there some edits that I could have fixed a little bit possibly? Yes. But I think you're always going to find, I'm sure you find it with your books too where you're like, Oh, that, that dot was there. Of course, I'm the only one that notices it. No one else does, but you always can do another run. (laughs) Yeah. Can always do a second edition. So I think, um, you know, I have people come me all the time, you know, especially going down the traditional publisher route. That's what they're, how do you get picked up by a publisher? Yeah. And that's not really my direction. I feel like owning it and understanding the process and knowing the process, you make a lot more money. Um, you really influence a lot more people because you really own it from start to finish. I mean, you own the marketing, you own everything about it. Yeah. And I think the big thing is networking. And I've really built. A, a community which has been awesome of ch- other children book writers and they're all my friends it's yeah. really hard when you're a mom to make friends and so I've built these like friends in this children book um, market and it's been awesome so I think um, you know kind of understanding the different processes I think the biggest hurdles is people don't stop editing that's number one um, they will leave a book in editing for years and they're like oh, I've been writing a book for 10 years like I don't even know how someone could do that like I don't how you can literally write a book for 10 years. (laughs) Um, At some point, I think it's when they're doing that, it's the fear of putting it out there, um, the fear of failure. And I don't think there's really any kind of, I don't know what makes you successful or what makes you a failure. If you've only sold 10 books, does it really matter if it made 10 children happy? I don't know, right? I mean, at that point, you got to look at it that way, right? And having your first book in your hand is probably the coolest thing on the planet. Like when you finally get that first copy, you know, and you're like, oh, I've done this and I made it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and that was probably one of the coolest things that, you know, I experienced, which was awesome. Um I kinda lost your question. I'm sorry. I ramble. <laughs> that's okay.
1: <laughs> it was advice that you would give. So that's great. You're obviously full of advice. You haven't been doing this for too long, but you have learned yeah. tons along the way, obviously, and you're very business minded. So I don't know that everybody would resonate with that. And I think that's where a lot of people think if I, if I can find a traditional publisher, right. they'll make all the decisions for me. And then I don't right. have to worry about that. I can be creative and I can just, you know, write the book and pass it off to somebody else. But right. um, for somebody who likes to be in charge, has a little bit of either willingness to learn that business side of it or maybe right. a little bit of background in, you know, marketing or something like that. Then it's so much better. I agree with you to be able to make all the decisions. So, yay for you for being difficult to work with. Yeah, I right? <laughs> recognize like, that. Oh, like, you're so difficult. difficult. I was like, how am I difficult? They're like, well, you're not. A...
0: They want to change the title. They want to change the meter. They want to write the entire story. And I, oh. I, you're always going to have a critic out there. Someone's not going to like your book. Yes. Someone's not going to agree with your meter or the way it's written. And I think, once again, it goes back to the original piece of advice. If you write a book that you know you're going to share and that you know that it's something that you really think that it should be out there for the children kind of thing, I think that that'll solve a lot of that problem. But another thing I'd like to bring up, I had someone bring this up to me the other day. I get books all the time that people are like, what do you think? And I feel so bad because a lot of time. They're really bad. And I don't know how to say, like, hey, maybe you should get a really good illustrator. You know, the story's good. The illustrations are horrible. And I don't try, I don't know what to say when it's that, when it happens, but it happens more. Definitely invest in a good illustrator. A picture book is like 80% illustrations. I mean, literally, you can have a quasi okay story, but if your illustrations are amazing, it could be a hit. So, yeah. but it's not the other way around. You can't have a great story and really bad illustrations and it take off. It just doesn't work that way. Cause it's a picture book. Right. Yeah. So I had a girl that she tried and her, her, what she was trying to do was great, but it was a very tough subject to write about. Uh-huh. It was about the death of a child and it was very, very hard. And she was very literal. And so I think when you have, when you're wanting to write about a topic, because a lot of inspiration comes from people that want to write about really things that are close to them, whether their child has, you know, autism or, or an eating disorder or something like these big topics, right? Uh I would definitely try to do a metaphor, um, more so than the actual thing that you're trying to talk about. Uh So if you want to, for instance, if you want to write a book about a child, um, who, say, lost his limbs or something, maybe you could write about a turtle that has no legs, okay, or something like that. So make it a, a an, or like a perfect example, the Ricky the Rock is a great example. Yeah. You know, he wrote about his his daughter who had Parkinson's, and it was about a rock that couldn't roll like the rest. So it was very similar, right? She can't walk like the rest of the children. This rock couldn't roll down the hill like the rest of the children. I think it's very important that when you're conquering very tough topics, that you still need to understand that you're talking to a child, right? And that these topics can still be addressed. You can yeah. still address hard topics like cancer and death and things of that nature. But I think if you give it a metaphor, um, it can still have just as deep of a meaning. It can still evoke the conversation, but it doesn't scare people because it can get very scary when you're reading these these, these stories. And I, and I see them, and the reason why I wanted to bring it up is I see it more than a lot of people are inspired by an event that happens in their life. Mm-hmm. And I see it more and more and more that they're writing about these very tough topics and they're straight up saying the tough topics like right. in the story. And I think that really means you just need to kind of take a step back yeah. and understand that this is a very tough, tough topic to talk about with yeah. children. And if you make it into a, a story that you can eventually kind of move into that direction, then I think it's a much better, it'll be a very, a much more successful book. And I think people are much more willing to share it. And then your voice will be heard Yes. farther, you know? Yes.
1: And so. you can explain the metaphor in your ad copy or your, right. your, you know, on the book page on the blurb or in any sort right. of media you put out about it so that people understand, because otherwise they might not right. get it. Why does this turn off the legs or no shell? Yeah. But if, as soon right. as you explain it, like Jay explained right. a little bit on his Ricky right. that won't, uh, or what is it? Rock the rock. The rock yeah. um, he, once he explained it, it's very right. eye-opening. But if you just read right. the book, or you just know the general idea of the book, you might not get it. And then as soon as you get right. the background, it's like, oh, okay, that makes right. sense, more sense. And it's right. in kid language. This right. morning, my daughter actually, my son pressed the button on the carbon monoxide detector, the the test button, so it was really loud and beeped. And then they asked what it was there for. And so I usually just tell it like it is to my kids and I don't right. think about it often. And so I said, well, in case there's any poisonous chemicals in the air, you know, that, that will that will let us know and we can leave the house. And my, my <laughs> six year old was like, what? And <laughs> what are these poisonous chemicals you're talking about? And so she, um she didn't freak out, but like every couple of minutes, she would ask me another question, like, so what is that going to happen? How will we know that happens? You know, like how often does that happen? And so I had to backtrack. And we just, as adults, we don't always realize. You know, I think often people think I'm going to tell it like it is, right. um, you know, and and not uh, not sugarcoat it because you know they're kids. Right. They're kids, but they still they have to learn about the real world in that. <laughs> but they're kids, and they they yeah. take things internally that we don't always think about. You know, and well, they lay in bed sure. and they stare at their ceiling or at the window <laughs> and they worry about things and they don't always verbalize it to us. So I, I think that's really good advice for people, and especially because you've obviously been given a lot of manuscripts from other people to read that you do read right. a lot and so you know what's happening
0: and I'm not professional by any means so like I read a book and some I think would be great and they haven't and then some I did not understand it and they took off I just try to offer as much of advice as I can like so for that book that I saw it was really hard and I basically said you know that there's a lot of angels in it and I was like you know maybe if you just made it into um, an angel type book as opposed to the child turns into an angel. It was very weird how it was transitioned. Yeah. Um, and I kind of gave And they're like, oh, this is really great advice. But the other thing, too, is people, these are like when you create a children book, it's your baby. Like it's, you get very personal. So when someone even gives any kind of advice outside of this is amazing, um, that also becomes a problem. So the other issue, too, is don't go to your friends and family. Uh-huh. Like they're going to tell you it's amazing. <laughs> so yes. you need to put it in some sort of anonymous read group Mm -hmm. and so they don't know that you're the author and that you're getting honest feedback because um, very rarely is your family going to say that your book is horrible. I mean,
1: that is such good advice because (laughs) there's a mom at home thinking I have a book. I'm going to ask my mom to read it or my my sister who teaches English or my best friend. They're not going to tell you it stinks. Yeah. Or give you ideas on how to change it. So right. that is really, really good advice. Don't go looking to hear yeah. that it's amazing. Go looking to right. find out well, what fix.
0: When well, I think the other thing too is is that sometimes people love the book because they love you. So like yeah. if they if you have a message and you're like, I really did this book because you know, I was trying to spread the word about saving water. Or something right and you have this yeah. great motivation behind it and it's a great cause and so people are like oh my gosh I love this but you can't talk to everybody on the planet about your cause so they're not going to know what's behind it and the passion behind it so with your so even if everybody in your kids class loves it well probably because you went in there and you talked about it and you said what the reasoning behind it was and they liked you so they bought your book yeah So I think that also has a big play, too, is that not necessarily just because you have a lot of people that like it. You could literally have 100 people that like it because you yourself are pushing it. Like it's like you've done fairs, you've talked to people, everything's great. I think the real test is, is if you're not attached to it, like if it's sitting on a shelf somewhere (laughs) and someone picks it up, what do they think? Like, what is their... Um, impression of it. So I think at that point, that's when you really can get digged down because I also have that too. Well, I've sold 500 copies, which is great. And I'm like, okay, well, how many people that you actually physically talk to? Well, all of them, (laughs) I was at a fair, I sold them, but it's not doing well on Amazon. It's not doing well at the bookstores. And the other thing too, I I wanted to be humble in this is that um, (laughs) bookstores have not been generous to me whatsoever. So every bookstore I have put in, I've sold one copy every six months and it's been horrible. Um, on Amazon I sell, now I'm selling about 2000 books a month on average. Um, so it's nine day difference. Like I'm, I walk into my local bookstore and I'm trying to support the indie bookstores and I'm like, Hey, put this on your shelf. Unless you're forward facing, unless you're, unless you're forward facing, you're not gonna, there's my little dog you're not going to be able to, no one's going to see you. Right. You know, so that's the other problem.
1: Yes. We could go on forever about how to actually get your books sold and marketing because you're kind of a genius about it. But (laughs) let's wrap up with one last question. And this might be like the TMI question where I get um, awkward and uncomfortable for for you. But what I really like to know from people is how much money you've made just in dollar signs, like $1 signs, no dollar signs. And the reason is, So that people watching and listening get an idea of, um, you know, career trajectory and and potential, you know, lack of potential. But also, I want to know what the best thing is that you've bought with your money. So, for example, I I can afford to have house cleaners now. And for me, that's life-changing. And I've talked about it before on the podcast because… It's, it just, it makes my life so much better and I'm so proud of the fact that I can pay for this and and, right. and I love it so much. So, so, um, how many dollar signs have you made and what's the best thing that you've used the money to buy? Well,
0: and I think this is good too, because, um, when I start breaking down the numbers, people think it's not. So if I said, okay, so on average, I make profit wise per book around between three fifty 50 and $4 a book. Now people might go, that's not a lot of money. Like I have a lot of people go, that's not, that's not a lot of money. Well, you times that by 2000 or 4,000 a month. Yeah. That's a lot of money. Like, and that's pure profit, right? So that's after all my expenses are paid after my marketing. So on average, like this month, I'm going to profit, um, about 10 grand this month, um, Everything that I've made off my books, I've literally bought more books. It's been (laughs) horrible. I'm trying to stock up for Christmas. I haven't had a Christmas yet. Um, This is so. This my book Scribble will be out one full year in January. So this will be you know my full year. I haven't really indulged on anything. I mean, when I first started making good money, I bought new windows. (laughs) I was really excited about it. Windows is huge. Yeah. Well, I expensive. Well, and I added the windows. So like it was a wall, and I made a wall of windows. So that was like my big thing for when I started to actually make money. And then I realized I was selling too fast and I needed to bulk up on inventory. And so I literally invested all the money that I've made um, into more books. So talk to me in like four months when <laughs> Maybe. I can start to see the profit I think right now,
1: knocking out a piece of a wall and putting a window in is huge because I think we as adults I you know it. how expensive that must have been so th- and then you get yeah. to see that all the time yeah. all the time right so It was great and yeah, so, um yeah. you had to start by running a kickstarter and I've done that too and right. so I understand sort of the um the feelings that are associated with that because you know, you're really hopeful, but you also feel a little yeah. bit desperate and vulnerable and yeah. like you're begging people for money and there's, all these, different, horrible. Yeah, there's yeah, all these different emotions horrible. for that. So for you to yeah. have the money to be able to turn around and, and invest it in buying more books without having to beg your friends Do and Do it again. Yeah. Yes. I think that's yeah. huge. So good for well, you. Well, and that's, Ooh.
0: I was just trying to be smart about it. Right. So everything I made from the Kickstarter run, all the profit I made from that, I literally dumped back in. And so I just kept dumping back in. Now, what really has put me behind is all the new titles that I have. If I just stuck with Scribble, um, I wouldn't be, like, technically in the hole. Because I'm in the hole probably about twenty grand right now just because I had to invest so much in inventory um, just to get me through Christmas. Because Amazon was predicting some stupid numbers. And I don't know if it's going to come to fruition or not. But you know, predicting it, right. Predicting like ridiculous numbers to get me through Christmas. Yeah. And so I figured, you know what, go big or go home at this point. My husband was very supportive on it. I had a whole entire spreadsheet that, um, outlines all the profit, all the marketing. And what also is very interesting, I'm an author illustrator. So that's also something I'm going to get more profit just because I'm not splitting it. Um, so that, that also is a little bit different and I can produce books faster because I kind of do everything with it. I do the illustrations and the writing right. um, and the design and pretty much every, everything of it. Everything. So everything. Yeah. So, um, That's but yeah, I think, so for, it can definitely be a living, like my goal. So when I first had Scribble, I was pocketing 4,000 a month. Now that I have, uh, now that, so it was funny, now that I launched Splatter, it catapulted Scribble. Mm -hmm. Um, and so now I'm making more on scribble. And so now I'm making about 10,000 a month. And my goal is with every new title, it's going to add more and more because they all sell each other because it's all part of a series. So, um, if you like one, chances are you'll like them all. They all have the same, you know, inspired to create type of mentality. Um, so that's kind of, and that's another piece of advice too. Um, once you have something good going, don't go into a completely opposite direction. So like, it'd be like if I, if I had Scribble, everything's great with Scribble, and then all of a sudden I write a book about plants. Like, and it has nothing to do, there was no common ground between yeah. the two of them whatsoever. Not the same illustrator, not the same storyline. That's not gonna work. Your audience is so important to you. that um, you really need to understand that once you gain that audience, you need to capitalize on that. And that's when you're going to continue to release books. That's why you have people that follow illustrators because they like the style, right? It's the style of illustration that they do. So I think that's really important if you're doing a series or just stick with before you become popular enough, if you're trying to write 10 books, I've had a lot of people say, I've got a whole series of 10 books. And I'm like, are they at all similar? And they're like, well, no, I'm like, well then at least stick with the same illustrator. For all five, like even if they're not because you see like, um, you know, there's a lot of illustrators like Adam Rex and and stuff like that. They have different or, or Oliver Jeffries that have that specific style, but they have totally different stories. But it's OK because you really like that style. like yeah. You love that the way it looks. So I think that's also really important is to keep something consistent. If your first book takes off, don't start your second one in a completely different direction
1: would be right good advice very good advice okay so you have to come back on another time because you have so much advice (laughs) okay i will i will yeah so i get better wi-fi yeah yeah there you go when you have better wi-fi come back on so i'm gonna stop us here thank you so much i think you're brilliant and you have so many ideas and i could listen to you share about them and i look forward to meeting you in person we're going to a conference together yeah so i'll pick your brain lots then but anyway well, thanks Mars- for having me too i appreciate it oh yes well thank you and i'm gonna say goodbye goodbye everybody Bye. goodbye Bye. see
0: you you've been listening to the writer's way podcast for show notes links to guests information and to learn more about the writer's
1: way check out laurierider.com until next week enjoy this chapter of your life